and welcome to Thursday's episode of the 905er podcast and our weekly 905 roundup. My name is Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. And we've got uh, another three stories from the 905 uh, today to look at. Um, and we're going to start off with, well, guess what? The election. Um, Joel, what's, what's, what's the latest from, from the campaign trail, as they say on uh, things like this? <laughs> well... Well, I think I think people I don't I think people are kind of bored with the campaign trail myself, but and I, I and myself I couldn't care less. That being said, uh, there was something on the old uh, Twitter bot, the Twitter machine that caught my eye. Uh, David Coletto of Abacus Data uh, tweeted out on Monday a recent poll that they did for uh, for them on the provincial election and the uh, the what people's opinions of things were. And it caught my eye because a lot of the numbers were backing up kind of what we've been saying so far on this podcast uh, in, in the last, the three episodes that we've been doing so far on the uh, on the leader platforms, conservatives, we're still waiting on you, hint, hint, knock, knock. Um, the, the data kind of backed up what we're saying is that people are, that the, the three progressive parties are missing the plot on terms of what people are expecting post-COVID. Um, and, and I say that because the first thing they point out was the desire for change in this province. And 52% say it's definitely time for a change in government. So you would think, oh my gosh, Doug Ford would have, must be sweating, going to bed every night, thinking his job's on the line. Except no, they're, the PCs are currently sitting at 35%. They're the leader in terms of uh, voting intention uh, with the liberals at 28 and the NDP a close third at 24. Um but what, what really struck me shockingly is the impressions of the party leaders are all deeply in the negatives, uh, with Doug Ford at 44%, Stephen Del Duca at 32 and uh, Andrew Horvath at 31 And we've seen uh, they have an, you know, the impression of Doug Ford in Ontario pretty much since the start of the pandemic. Well, I, sorry, I should say at the start of the pandemic, he had good numbers, but then, you know, about, I'm going to say probably about the fifth wave or so. Sorry, I'm going scratch that more like third wave. It looks like his numbers just tanked. People just gave up on him. They said, you don't know what you're doing. Which kind of brings me to, I, I, I view this as reemphasizing what you and I have been saying all along during this pandemic is that people are not happy with Doug Ford. They think, I think they view him as messing up the pandemic. They look at the long-term care home situation and they just, they shake their heads at that. They look at their schools and they're ticked off with that. They're looking at the stressed out nurses and doctors who have been uh, ignored repeatedly and marginalized during the pandemic in favor of politically expedient messaging. And the the millions of dollars in brat breaks and preferential treatment given to uh, Galen Weston and Loblaws and Walmart and Amazon and the, and the like. And they're just fed up with it. And they turn to the liberals and the NDP and the Green Party uh, more so the liberals and the NDP, and they shake their heads and say, you guys, you guys are fighting the election of 2018. Times have changed. You know, we're coming, we're trying to rebuild something after the, the pandemic. There are things that we like, things that we don't like, things that people are just saying, we want this change. We want to see this. We're done putting up with this as a status quo. This is the cost of doing business excuse. We want this fixed. And they're not hearing it from the liberals or the NDP. No, there's, um, yeah, I mean, what I noticed today uh, on Twitter was, um, you know, I, I follow all the party leaders, I think, 
certainly most of them. Um, and sometimes I actually read what they say. And Andrea Horvath, I mean, after the debate, was tweeting out a number of things, uh, you know, a lot of um, things attacking the liberals, as is her right. I say nothing about that particularly. But the the responses to that were very one-sided. My, my usual experience of, of leaders tweets during election campaigns is you know the party faithful on one side will dive in and say wonderful wonderful thank you you're such a great leader and then people from the other parties will dive in and say you're terrible you're a crook you should be in prison and it's all very boring and pointless but that's that's how it goes overwhelmingly 90 percent 90 percent plus of the responses to andrea horvath's uh, tweets were andrea shut up don't go after stephen doe don't we don't care Go after Doug Ford. Get rid of Ford. Get rid of Ford. Get rid of Ford. And and I'm not saying that as a way of saying people are fans of Del Duca. Most people probably couldn't pick him out of a lineup two or three weeks ago. You know the fact that she's trailing him in popularity when most people would walk past him on the street and not know who he was. You know, literally days ago, it's kind of tells its own story. You know, uh, but. Yeah, it's like, Andrew, you're running the wrong election. You're running the wrong... This is not what we want right now. We want to get rid of Doug. We don't care who else wins. We don't want the PCs. Right. And, and again, I mean, you know, I will come back again and again in, in a very boring fashion to our electoral system and the results it creates. But unfortunately, it's true. There is a clear... Yeah, not an overwhelming, but there is a clear majority of Ontarians who agree broadly. You know, as I said, we went through the Green Party platform... NDP, the Liberal. I was like, if if the colour of the ink hadn't told me which party wrote it, I wouldn't really have been able to tell. A few things would have given it away here and there. Right. By and large, an awful lot of it, it could be any party that wrote it. And I would happily accept any party who delivered those policies, <laughs> by and large. Well, on, uh, the, uh, on that on that note, though, like there were, th we just finished reviewing the the Liberal platform. We were shocked at just. Once you actually read through it, there were a lot of policies in there that were like, yeah, this is this is what I've been looking to see. This is stuff that I, I think is really exciting and and makes me it made me stop and say, wait, what's what would happen if we did this? And they're not talking about that on the campaign trail. Like the I would say the, what, what the liberals, me overall well, what I'm seeing and like I didn't watch the debate. I never watch debates. I hate debates. I think they're a waste of time. Um I mean I know that's stupid and that's unforgivable or doing a podcast like this and the rest of it, but that's just how. No, it's it's not. They're all the same. They like everybody. You rarely do you get a one-two punch. What you should be watching is the commentary after the fact, because every every partisan says, "Oh, it's very clear the winner was yeah. my leader." Um, and they might throw through through bones for the to the other other guys, but for the most part, it's. You go to the punditry to say, oh, who won, who who lost, and that kind of tells you who won or who lost. Nobody, I've never met anyone who formed their opinion on a debate. You 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 only turn into a debate because you want that one slip up that somebody really just torpedoed their shot at winning, or the you know the quick wow you know the like the the you know you you I'm trying to, I'm trying to think like the quick the pit quickie the pippy yeah. one liners yeah, right yeah, that's what I, we're looking I, for, but. I look at these. I look at the the election so far, and one thing I've I've always been floored at is the fact none of the progressive parties are championing UBI. It's all in their platforms. It's all a mate. Like they're all saying we're going to bring it back in one form or another. Yet none of them 
really champion it as like this is the cor- this is a cornerstone of our platform. I I, I don't know what the plat the cornerstones of their platforms are. Like they, there's no narrative to them. It's just here's a here's a few tax credits. Here's a you know. I know I know Stephen Del Duca talks about you know economic dignity for people, but then he goes on his big th- the big thing that I've only heard about so far really is the dollar go train ride that we talked about, and it's just like no like sell the vision. It's it's like, like yeah. and I yeah yeah it, it's tough. I mean I will say this that I think. We were talking the other day, I mean, off, offline, and we were talking about, you know, you know, Roosevelt's New Deal. And you'll hear politicians talking about a new deal, a green new yep. deal is a phrase that's around, you know, and Roosevelt, you know, someone like Roosevelt, obviously, he seized the public imagination of his day in a fundamental way with the concept of the New Deal. And that New Deal actually transformed the United States in many, many ways. Um, yep. And that's kind of what we're looking for. But I'm not even sure that if a politician was trying to sell that today, um, that anybody would be willing to listen to it. Like, like it, it, it's not just them not saying the right things. It's us, to an extent, not being willing to listen to what they're trying to say. I, it's that thing of we, we kind of get the politicians we deserve sometimes. Now, I think we deserve better than this, I have to say. And I think they can do better than this. But yeah. I do think the sort of media landscape has changed so much. I mean, you know, why were debates important? Well, they used to be important because there were only a handful of channels. And that's, you know, if, if the debate was on, then you probably had to watch it because there might not be a whole lot else on that evening. Uh, well, now the whole media is like, you know, uh, anybody under about 40 doesn't have cable anymore. Um, I don't have cable. Um, I don't even know what channel the debate was on. <laughs> um, no. You know, I don't really watch television. I watch a lot of things that are on a screen, um, but they're not television in the traditional sense. Um, it, it, there are fewer and fewer ways in which you can communicate. And I, I give them some, not this, credit, this election, but I give them some recognition of that fact. Uh, this this election does strike me as being very antiquated to the modern era. It does. Like I, I, I find the arguments being put forward are from 2018 or before. Um, nobody seems to to accept the fact that we're we're in a rebuilding phase. Really, though, I mean, nobody wants to talk about it publicly. It's a, it's, and I, I agree. I, I, you know, we did talk about the the idea of a Roosevelt New Deal. I think that's what we people are wanting to see. They're they, they're tired of they saw a glimpse of it during the pandemic, right? Being able to work from home and you know saving the money that way, the freedom to work as you please, not being stuck in a nine to five job, to to focus more time on your family and friends, the 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 necessity to f- fix the the gaps in our healthcare system, to give the nurses and doctors the the fair pay and the respect that they deserve. The fact that a lot of, I think there are a lot of boomers now who are terrified at the prospect that one day they might end up in an Ontario long-term care home. Um, the parents who are who are frustrated with the lack of, of good education options and the push, the insane push towards this online virtual schooling that the current government wants to hold when we all saw it was an abject failure from firsthand experience. And it's just, People are just fed up with it. They're fed up with the 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 in, insanity of keep doing this stuff over and over again, and they want to change. They want somebody to say, "We're going to give you a new deal. These things that don't work, we're going to fix them." And it's going to require big thinking and big and bold ambition. But you know what? It it it's got to happen. And instead, what we're doing we're getting is that 
undersell, overperform mentality of the 90s and early 2000s that, yeah, it got, uh, it got uh, Jean Chrétien and um, uh, Stephen Harper their victories, and it, it got McGinty his victory, uh, same as it got Kathleen Wynne her victory. But time, the last two, two, three years have changed things. Think this is not... This is the aftertime, and that's why I think this this campaign, these campaigns are not clicking with the public yeah, at large. And politics is f so much different now. It's more, the parties are more fractured. The country, the nation, the world is so much more divided. Yeah. We need, and we need to, you know, Andrea Horvath, with the greatest respect, is running the typical NDP campaign. I mean, A, it's a campaign that seems to assume that they're going to end up in third place. Um or at best keep their place, their second place, um, because of the amount of time she's going after the the liberals. Um, you know, it's not. It's, it's basically like you know these assholes are going to beat us again, so I have to keep on going after them. And and I don't think you know it certainly doesn't resonate with anybody. Um, I just don't think anybody really cares apart from the, you know the really party faithful. Um, you know, Del Duca is 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 you know not exactly setting the world alight. Um, and I think if one of them had said, even in the absence of the other one, if one of them had unilaterally said, I am willing to do a deal right now before the election, which is the only time it can happen, it can't happen after the election because numbers are showing us that basically we're going to split the vote right down the middle in every bloody riding in, in Ontario and Doug Ford will win a majority, not a minority, a majority. Um, you know, if one of them has said at that point, I am willing to do that. I am willing to... This is the most important thing in their generation that this this Trumpian extreme religious right wave that has you know infected the Western world over the last decade has to be stopped by whatever means possible, and that you know if I'm an NDP voter, the Liberals you know the lesser of two evils is less evil. The Liberals are manifestly less evil than. PCs. If you're a liberal and you have some issue with, you know, unions or whatever, again, manifestly, the NDP are less evil than the PCs. You can work it out. You have to work it out. The only reason not to work it out is because you think you can win alone one of these times. Well, you know, it hasn't happened for the NDP in this a long isn't, time. This isn't that it's time. It's not that time. This isn't and, that And it's time. too important. No. I mean, it's, it's too late now. It's not going to happen. You know, basically, we're facing another four years. God help us. I mean, really, God help us with another four years of Doug Ford. Oh, God. You know, because it, the stuff he's done, I mean, it's so niggling well, in some ways. It, it It's just, you know, some of it's just spiteful well, and small-minded. Well, but I mean, the, you know, the, the, yeah. collectively, over the, over the long haul, the destruction it's doing to what I considered since I've lived here, the kind of, you know, the advantages of the Canadian way of life, the Ontario kind of way of life uh, as well, the, the the very good science of that, that the, the broadly kind of progressive consensus that exists or has existed in this nation, that's all getting ripped up. And, and you know, I don't think this is the same even as when you go back to, um, you know, the Eves and, uh, oh God, his name's gone out of my head. <laughs> previous guy Bernie. four eaves yeah um ah, my mike cares. harris my God. i didn't live through it people that's that's why i can forget his name i did <laughs> it, it's it's worse even no, than that, that because you know these it people is. are it is what's happening in the u.s these guys are signed up for you know the 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 abortion stuff the whole shooting match they are on board with that we're seeing we're seeing polivo you know uh, 
partying with bloody Jordan, whatever his name is, Peterson, you know, odious creeps of the First Order um, who are, who are you know, blowing every dog whistle possible for entitled white feelings of injury. Uh, and we can't afford to let it That's go a- because, well, you know, the NTP has to, you know, we want to beat the liberals or the liberals, well, you know, yeah. really, you know, we don't like the NTP that much. It's, it's like, get it's over so, it. It's so petty. It's so petty. They're gonna they're gonna come back and look at this as the the most embarrassing moment in I think in their party lives. Anywho, let's move on. Uh, let's take a break for our lovely sponsor, and then we'll be right back to uh, pick up the final two stories of the episode. Okay, and we're back. So this other little tidbit of news that I, I found happens to be in Hamilton, reported by uh, Matthew Van Dongen of the Spectator, and. It was published again on Monday, but guess what, people? If you live in Hamilton and you got fined for having a beer or a, a drink in a public park in uh, underneath the Hamilton bylaw, you might want to go and look at getting a refund because it turns out that bylaw doesn't exist. Um, it was just it determined that there's a non-existent bylaw that was repealed back in 2005. Nobody knows why, apparently, uh, but it didn't exist. However, that didn't stop... Hamilton police from going into public parks and issuing uh, fines to anyone who was caught drinking uh, in the park. Now, most years that never happened, except in 2021, you might remember there's a little thing called a global pandemic happening and we weren't allowed to go drinking uh, in restaurants and bars. So people decided to do it in parks. Apparently, bylaw officers handed out 72 booze in park tickets, totaling about $5,400, or that's $75 per ticket. Um, and so they're expected to hand out, uh, apparently only 44 of those people actually pay the tickets. Uh, good on you. And so that means that they're going to be issuing out 44 letters to getting a refund uh, for those fines. Uh, however, of course, this means that now they have to, now the city council has to, according to Councillor John Paul Danko, has to, Let's look into best practices of other communities and see what the pros and cons of changing the policy would be and, and whatnot. And I just want to bring it up because I think I'm going to bring my editorial opinion here, but say, just let it go. Let people drink in parks. Really? What are we afraid of? That somebody's going to drink in a park and have a, a good time with friends and family? My God, are we that puritanical that we can't have a good... A, a beer or a bottle of wine in Gage Park or or, or wherever. It's it's uh, it's an interesting thing having grown up in Europe. Um, that I remember not understanding why you would see people in in you know like Starsky and Hutch or whatever North American TV shows with bottles in brown paper bags. And it, you know, it took me a while as a young and stupid youth <laughs> to sort of work out that this is always mm-hmm. oh, this. You have to hide your booze if you're in a park or in a public place in, in North America. And uh, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess the the you know the people who've living on the streets with alcohol problems in, in in Europe just do it more out in the open. Um, it's it's not. It makes no difference to the problem. I mean, uh, it you know these are rules that get flouted anyway by people who are going to flout them or have addiction problems that mean they are likely to flout them. Um, for the rest of us, yeah, you're, I, I, I've never really, I mean, it's, it's a blanket. I mean, as it says, the whole thing is stupid anyway, because, because Hamilton was enforcing a bylaw it didn't have, but provincial law says you can't drink in public. So it's still against the law. It's just that the bylaw officers wouldn't 
wouldn't have been able to find people. It would require the police well, to find. Well, no, but uh, here's one of the. I mean, we're just before the break. We were poo pooing on Doug Ford, but you know, give you know, give a uh, credit where it's due. The provincial government did kind of say, no, we're not going to enforce the provincial laws. We're not. We're not. We're going to encourage um, uh, the municipalities not to enforce that law. Let people drink in public parks. I mean, now why wouldn't he just go in and repeal the law? That you know, God forbid, that act might actually take some work, and might have to come in on a on a day to you know do it. But the 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 province is saying just don't enforce it. Now I understand the rules around it are. Well, the thing about it is, oh, you you know, you're gonna have public intoxication and vandalism and and whatnot. I'm like, yeah, true, but you a you, that still doesn't stop you from walking out of a bar fully intoxicated, and it still doesn't stop people from vandalizing public property. You. And we have laws against that. So yeah, if you drink and you're intoxicated, well, guess what? You broke the law, you go to jail for public intoxication. But if you have a bottle of wine split between four friends, probably not going to be intoxicated and might just have a, a lively a lively conversation. That's all. Uh, it's it's so it's just puritanical and uh, uh, part of my uh, my derogatory. Sl- terminology here wrong but it's very victorian england-esque uh those guys like their poor in, in the in its approach <laughs> oh well you know god god for, but yes, it's, it's like, it is oh, pure tactical. We, all, we, pride, we pride ourselves we pride ourselves on oh we like our beer right you know we're, we're a good beer drinking society you know good beer drinking culture and, and whatnot yet oh no but just keep that you know out out of sight Keep that indoors. Don't don't. I think it's very much a North a North American thing. Uh, you know, I mean, that's like the whole the beer store and the LCBO. These are hangovers from a puritanical age where we where we thought we had to control alcohol. Uh, you know, very much in the same way that we control mm-hmm. drugs today. And I mean, I just not even a great, very good example. Seeing as that marijuana is legal, um, but uh, well, tobacco today maybe you know uh, is treated. You know, we've got this wacky system um, as a result, which is just literally a historical sort of artifact. And, and I don't think, you know, passing laws that are actually unenforceable um, is never a good idea. Um, actually stopping people from drinking parks, virtually impossible. You can waste time ticketing a few people. But, you know, the the, the people who cause problems through alcohol consumption in public places are not the people who will... Going to be, you know, it, it that doesn't work that way. You know, it, it's a social ill that needs to be dealt with through sp- the ways that you handle social problems, not through ticketing people. That the per- that, that the person who does that who does that trouble, uh, whether it's due to an addiction or just youth youthful exuberance, uh, as the case may be, they'll do it anyways. They'll just do it in private, then go out in public and cause trouble. Which case, yeah, you're not. You're going to ticket them or charge them with uh, misdemeanor, violence, vandalism, public intoxication, whatever the case may be. But my God, like just let's let's bring ourselves into the 21st century. What gets me though is to bring it back full circle to Hamilton. Is this now? Now they figured, oh, we we cocked it up. We, we the the police didn't even know their own bylaws, and we're sending out bylaw officers to to enforce, and nobody caught it until after like. $5,000 were issued. So now the city council, instead of just saying, okay, you know what? 
forget it, let it go. Now we got to do, we have to do a study. You have to pay for a study to do a consultation, and then we have to go pay tell city uh, staff. Let's go look at other municipalities. Why not just you know why not just take the leadership and say, you know what, we're we're doing away with it. We're going to be that that forward thinking city and say, yeah, you can. Uh, you you can. We'll we'll allow you to have a uh, a drink in a park, and you won't be harassed by it. Just don't do anything stupid afterwards. And perhaps Councillor Danko would would suggest that you know maybe that's what will come out of the study. But but yeah, I mean, I, I think you know it. <laughs> the the thing that gets my which which I think is most kind of hilarious in this whole thing is that um you know basically the the bylaw rules they're enforcing were from before 2005 they realized that they'd actually been repealed and it says public works doesn't know why they were repealed it's like <laughs> for the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing but this is not unusual in city halls it's not just hamilton either like i i, I do think hamilton does a particularly good job at this kind of you know incompetence but you know i've heard some stories in you know within recent history of other cities that shall remain nameless perhaps of the, the way that things like council requests requests from councillors to staff are maintained and they ain't some kind of highly complex database system let's put it that way um you know you're almost you know so it's something that is as recent as 2005 it's basically lost to the annals of history it might as well be medieval europe or something because they don't know why it was repealed right it, it, yeah what a mess you know it, it uh, uh, but this level of government is so important because it touches us every day of our lives and yet even the most basic things uh, just seem beyond them um uh, yeah it, it's frustrating so let's continue on to uh the, the last but not least, and certainly not the uh, th this. This is a good good one as well. I think, uh, Roland, what do you got? If we take a look at the other side of uh, the nine hundred five, yeah, this is a story from Brampton that um, the uh, the Pointer uh, website and newspaper. Um, they call it a newspaper, but it's online. But yeah, it's a very good news source for Brampton and Mississauga, um, and. You know, again, it's one of these stories that's going to get completely buried uh, other than by the, uh, thanks to the work of the pointer in the current environment of the election and, and Patrick Brown running for the conservative leadership and so on. Um, and that is a report on anti-black discrimination at Brampton City Hall. Um, you know, and uh, I think as any of our listeners will know, Brampton is, is a city with a you know, a strong majority uh, of people who identify as visible minorities, uh, either black or or, or um, uh, South Asian or Asian or whatever. Um, uh, about 73.3% of Brampton's residents identify as being visible minorities. 13.9% uh, identify as black. Um, Brampton City Hall. It really is as simple as this. Brampton City Hall only employs 36.8% uh, of employees who identify as being in any way racialized. Um, which is like, how do you even manage that in a, in a city as diverse as, as Brampton? And and then you, you think, well, look at the council, uh, which is predominantly uh, white and, and male, the last time I checked anyway. Um, and... I'm not blaming anybody specifically. I'm not blaming council or councillors specifically, but this is how city halls work. They they are so small C conservative 
um they they so enforce the uh the status quo uh, it, it, and again not necessarily in, you know this is what institutional racism is it's not intentional racism very often or, or usually even it's the institution itself perpetuates racism through the way it works and boy in my you know as a white man uh, in my experience at city halls do, do i recognize that thing of the institution perpetuating well, um if, a state. if you want to think like how they want to think about how they would have gotten to that spot like i i have no i i don't i don't you're right i don't think this was an intention like oh no we, you know there's a blanket policy we only hire white people that's absolutely not what i'm saying but you're right it's an example of institutional racism and by that if you think about most of those people probably like the the higher ups would have been hired um, and you know, pr- pr- most likely at a lower position at some point in their in their y- younger career days, probably when Brampton's demographic makeup was a little bit more skewed towards uh, uh, white people, and most likely they kept the job for a long time, and that's what happens, right? You you get people who stay who, and then they have the institutional knowledge, right? Because you moved up through the 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 network, like through your department and maybe switched over a few departments to different positions. You you have that historical knowledge of how things worked and and uh and how to get things speed. So your your value, you know, we can't lose Joe, we can't lose Jane because they know how to get things done. And that leaves little room for people of uh racialized backgrounds and visible minorities from getting in the front door. Um it's and you know, I I can't. I don't know if there's fault to be put on anyone necessarily, but I do look at that as like you know that, that's. I mean, I think the, the, like, the fault you know, is as, with as the people institution, start to retire. But, but the fault is with the leadership of that institution who should know better by now. You know, I mean, this is, this is a report um, carried out on behalf of the city um, by uh, Williams HR Consulting. Um, and a summary version was reported on before. Um, but, you know, the, the it goes beyond this. I mean, it, it talks of a, uh, a culture of, of um, I'm just trying to find the quote again, which I read literally five seconds ago, so that I get it right. Um, uh, this is frustrating about recording these things, listeners, that you, you see a fantastic quote that you want to make sure you get right and then you lose it. <laughs> um, but a, 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 if I can find it, a, you know, a, a culture of, of, of fear of recrimination for Emily who sort of raised uh, any queries about um, uh, uh, discrimination or here we go. Uh, yeah, a culture of fear, oppression, or reprisal at the city with respect to bringing forward complaints in general, and specifically complaints regarding discriminatory conduct. Um, employees don't trust HR. That's not uncommon in my experience um, in other places. Um, uh, and most black and racialized participants, participants were able to give examples of racially discriminatory conduct and comments from colleagues that they recall being personally witness to. I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't expect Brampton to be particularly unusual. That's that's a sad thing. Um, the, the, well, I would expect it to be very though, usual. Like, in fact, government is the last thing to respond. I think to social change. Um, if you think about any time there's been any huge progressive movement for change uh, in the last 
10, 20, 30 years or so. Um, it comes from, from society. It, it, it's people getting organized. And they say, no, we demand change. Because if you think about it, like as we described, the demographics of Brampton have changed over the course of people being hired. So people are hired, they stay in their job, they, they, they say, no, I'm going to retire here, but I plan to do a 20, 30 year career at the city of Brampton usually. Like it, 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 they are good paying jobs typically. And you have a chance for upward mobility, growth and whatnot. Over that time, the demographics of the city have changed. So you have this kind of weird imbalance where the this, the staff, the bureaucracy is woefully out of date in terms of its demographic makeup. And you have the needs and the the social dynamic and the cultural dynamic that goes along with that of a changing municipality. And you have this kind of weird, you know, it's it's a potential of this city hall that is out of touch with the city. And it's a it leads to problems. And this is this is where like this the notion of systemic racism comes back and it harms all of us. Yeah. And I because think you have I mean, to spend a, a city that's changing and is modern. And then you're still you're still having these outdated not these views that are just not up with the modern needs of the city that you're trying to serve. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, things like this like uh institutional racism, uh if you are, 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 are yeah, I mean they they, they reflect institutional con conservatism again with a small c and not being political when i say that mm -hmm. that there is in every in government and 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 you know my experience of, of local government is not that extensive but it's i think it's enough one way or another to see the massive inertia against change that exists in 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 city halls um the 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 caution the fear of change in, in many ways the the um the the habit of departments to become uh kind of islands within within the city hall that that view themselves in a defensive way of protecting themselves against outside encroachment of defending themselves from councillors and from council decisions of defending themselves defending their budgets of defending you know uh it, it's it's a a it's a very unhealthy mentality then you throw the public into it who are often being very very critical of anything council does and again you, you go into defensive mode because it's like okay these guys are out to get us we've got to do whatever we, d we can to keep them keep the well as someone said in hamilton last week the barbarians from the gates and he used it in a context that was far more unfortunate but anyway um but yeah the 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 um uh yeah that the, the and racism gets caught all up in that because it's like you know we like the way things work now keep just leave us alone to get on with it is kind of the overwhelming uh, um, sort of cultural outlook I, I feel at too many city halls. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, it's particularly shocking in a place like Brampton, with with the with the um, racial makeup that Brampton has, and, and it's really got to change. And it's like, you know, we've got to be looking. You know, if if, if Brampton elects another council this year that is, you know, majority white, majority male. Um, in a city that is well, just not majority white and never was majority male, uh, uh, it's like what is wrong with our political process that that does this year after year after year? We, you know what? Here's hoping that uh, more racialized Bramptonians, more uh, more female racialized Bramptonians, uh, you know, st uh, step up and 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 cast their put their names on the ballot and and try to uh, make their their community a better place. Uh, and all the power to you. I mean, if hey, if you if you're one of those 
racialized female Bramptonians, and that's that sounds so condescending, and I apologize in <laughs> advance for that. Yeah. Um, if you want to, I mean, I'd be open to hearing from you. I'd like to hear from. I mean, and I and think what I do. Yeah, I mean, it, it running for politics is tough for anybody running running. Yeah. Uh, it's so much tougher. It's so much tougher. Um, if, if you, I mean, I know I had it easier when I ran uh, because I was a white male. I could, you know, simply from a practical perspective, I can knock on doors in places and at times a day that a that a female candidate can't, um, or, or would perhaps be, uh, well, would perhaps decide they didn't want to do. Let's put it that way. You know, you would hope they were safe, but the reality is whatever. Um, and the same goes if you're if you're uh, if you're non-white. I'd imagine that that just adds a whole other uh, dimension to things. Um, so yeah, I mean it's well, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so many other ways in which. But here's you know what I, I think we should just close off the uh, the episode because we're coming up near our forty minute mark. But let's just close up by saying, um, yeah, you know, like there's an opportunity here. That there's an election coming. There's an opportunity for more racialized Bramptonians. Uh, of whatever background you may be to step up and, and run and hopefully just start changing that dynamic. Um, because the the thing is that that will have to change, uh, especially as the baby boomers start to retire, which they are, they're, they're getting to that age. So in the next you know four or five years, I suspect you're going to see a lot more opportunities open for racialized Bramptonians, hopefully to find their ways into the bureaucracy and start making careers and start it being that change uh, to make the make the the policies and the the things that happen in in the city hall more reflective of the community that they are trying to serve. That sounds like a good thing. Right, well, thanks everybody. We'll be back next week with more from the nine oh five oh. That's it for this episode of the nine oh five er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional 
Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain App, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.